0: Every time I line up, I don't get as anxious anymore. I don't feel like I'm gonna barf. (laughs) It's just see what you can do. You have two healthy legs, you get to do this, like the sky's the limit. And if you don't reach what you think you might be able to do, that's okay too. Cause I'm having fun and I'm more in the moment now. Not thinking about the end goal of, oh, I might not do as well or I might suck. That's fine.
1: what's up everyone i'm your host mario fraoli it's been a busy fall and i haven't been recording many new episodes of the podcast these last couple months so i'm rerunning a few of my favorite conversations from years past this week's is with bria wetch who just a few weeks ago finished fourth at the u.s marathon championships at cim in a new personal best of two twenty eight thirty five. We recorded this episode in April of 2020 at the very beginning of the pandemic, not long after Bria had finished 27th at the U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon in Atlanta. I'm bringing back this conversation because of how honest and raw it was. In it, Bria told me about experiencing success at a young age and how she struggled to separate her identity and self-worth from her running results. She also recounts her experience recovering from double Achilles surgery in 2017 and coming back to run a marathon PR just 13 months later. She explained why she's stuck with the sport despite various struggles over the past 20 years. Bria opened up about her fear of failure and battling perfectionism, but also how she learned to let go a few years ago and what that did for her relationship with running and competition and a lot more. A big thank you to Tracksmith for supporting this episode of the podcast. You know how much I love Tracksmith's Half Tights for my training and racing but it's been freaking cold here in the Bay Area recently, and I've had to break out the longer tights on a few mornings when the temperature has been below freezing. Made from Tracksmith's Inverno blend, the turnover tights feature a soft brushed back for a comfortable feel on the skin and a spacious rear pocket for storing cards, keys, nutrition, your phone, or whatever else you want to stuff in there. Tracksmith offers a version with a lightweight brief liner built in for added comfort and support, and there's also a version without one. During the month of December, please visit tracksmith.com slash Mario and use the code Mario22 at checkout for free shipping on your order. Also, 5% of your purchase will go to support the Friendly House in Worcester, Massachusetts. This organization has done a lot for disadvantaged youth and the community in general where I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. I practically lived at the Friendly House as a kid. I played basketball there. I attended summer camp and the after-school program, and I'm super proud that a percentage of purchases using the code MARIO22 this month will go to a cause that is near and dear to me. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Precision Fuel and Hydration. I love this company. Not only do they make the best fueling and hydration products for training and racing, they also provide invaluable education for endurance athletes at all levels. We recently held a webinar on fueling and hydration for marathons and ultras, and they've also posted articles about carbohydrate needs and how to train your gut to take in more fuel, all of which I've linked to in the show notes for this episode. Also, be sure to check out their Fuel and Hydration Planner, which is a great tool that you can use to dial in your fueling and hydration needs for training and racing with incredible precision. You can find that on their website at precisionfuelandhydration.com or in the show notes to this episode. I'm going to be ramping up my training for Boston in the new year, and I'll be using Precision Drink Mix and Gels to keep myself fueled and hydrated. If you want to pick up some product for yourself, use the code TMS22, that's capital T, capital M, capital S, 22, when you check out at precisionfuelandhydration.com and save 15% off your first order. Okay, that's it for the introduction. Please enjoy this rerun from April 2020 with Bria Wetsch. Bria Wetsch, it is a pleasure to have you on the Morning Shakeout podcast.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Let's start with the current status of things. How are you doing during this weird and uncertain time that we're living through right now?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, We're doing good. Uh, I feel like every time I have a little sniffle or a slight headache, I feel like I have coronavirus. (laughs) But that's just me being paranoid. But yeah, I think we're handling it well. Um, I've been working from home and my fiance is finishing up his undergrad degree. And so he's been at home finishing that too. Um, It's been nice to see each other more often. So we're just trying to look at like the positives, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's important during a time like this and it's not to discount the severity of what's happening in the world around us. But I think, speaking for myself and other folks that I know, I think it has helped us to really appreciate what we have and to appreciate the time that we have with each other because for most of us, our lives are, are so busy that we can often lose sight of that.
0: Yep, yeah, it's been a nice change of pace to kind of slow down.
1: One of the things I want to talk to you about is the Olympic Trials Marathon. We'll get into the specifics of that here in a bit, but it's been about a month since the race. How has the COVID-19 pandemic and any resulting like cancellations or postponements affected your training and racing plans for the rest of the year?
0: Yeah, so my plan after the trials was to get back into training pretty quickly because I wanted to get on the track and see what I could do in the 10K. It had been a while since I had raced um, on the track, so I just wanted to see what I could do. Um, and turns out all the races got canceled, which it's been easy to adjust to. I think in the past that would have bothered me a lot because I was a lot of my identity was tied to running, but now um, I'm just using the time to still work out when I can and work out on the track. Um, but it's okay that there's no real
1: end goal right now. You just mentioned how, in the past, more of your identity was tied to running and maybe competition, but not so much now. I'd love to dig into how that's evolved for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, the biggest thing that happened was that took that was that allowed me to kind of. Remove my identity from running was when I had surgery back in 2017 on both of my Achilles. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of forced me to be like, "Hey, if you can never run again, what are like, what are you gonna do? There's more to life than just running, you know." Um, and I had been running through so much pain, probably it was four, I had been running with Achilles pain for about four years. And I got to the point where running just wasn't fun anymore. I was dreading every run. And when I finally decided that I was going to go through with surgery, it was a huge relief. And I took that time to, I think, be more grateful for running and not view it as something that I had to do, but something that I could do.
1: And is that something now that you're reminding yourself of on a regular basis? Totally, yeah. And what strategies do you have to employ in order to do that when you may catch yourself, let's say, regressing uh, or, or tying your you know, identity or self-worth toward running or results?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I've been meditating a lot, which has helped me um, just kind of be in a better headspace and remind me that running is for fun and that I don't always have to be running really fast and winning to enjoy
1: it. Ironically, you're running faster than you've ever had in the last couple of years, at least over longer distances while taking this more, correct me if I'm wrong, relaxed approach to how you're thinking about the place that it holds in your life.
0: Yep. Yeah. I would actually totally agree with that. It's kind of funny. Um, I think throughout my twenties, I thought that I had to be very serious about running and whenever anyone told me to relax or enjoy running more, um, I would get mad actually. Um, I was like, this is a serious matter. Uh, This is my livelihood. And I found that the less stress and pressure that I put on myself and the more that I do enjoy the process, um, yeah, the results have come more easily or not more easily, but I have had more success that way.
1: Where did all the stress and pressure come from?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I've been running since I was about 11 or 12. And um, I did really well in high school. I won five state championships and I was a national champion in the two mile. Mm -hmm. And I think then when I went to college at Oregon, I had a lot of pressure, internal pressure, to keep having that same success. And that's, I think, when I started to tie my entire identity identity to running. And if I didn't succeed in running, that meant that
1: I wasn't being successful as a person. And that didn't come until later in life?
0: Yeah, I think more in college that started. I mean, I was very obsessed with running when I was in high school. But I think once I got into college and was surrounded by more girls who were on the same level as me and I was able to see them, Because in high school we didn't have as much social media. I don't think there really was any social media in high school when I was in high school. um, You weren't really on the internet, um, so I didn't really know what anyone else was doing. I was just kind of in my own little bubble. And then once I got into college, I saw what everyone was, what everyone else was doing. It was easier to compare myself um, and say, oh, I'm not doing enough, or I need to be doing
1: this. And it became overwhelming. Yeah.
0: kind of lost myself and thought I had to do more Um, so actually when I was when I first got into running um, probably within a year I actually had to be hospitalized for an eating disorder and I think also once I got to college I kind of regressed back into those old ways and um, yeah I just became very obsessive with things
1: Let's go back to the beginnings. How did you get your start in the sport at the age of 11?
0: Yeah. um, So I played soccer for a couple of years and I really enjoyed that. And then I remember one summer, my dad started running to stay in shape. And I was like, oh, I want to run with him. I could do that. And so I asked him to join one day and he didn't really think I'd make it that far. So he's like, you can run to the train tracks with me, which were probably, I don't know, it was maybe half a mile away. So I was like, okay. And I was able to stay with him there and back. So each day I just kept adding a little bit more and more. And yeah, that's kind of how I got into running. And eventually throughout that summer, he couldn't even keep up with me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What was it about running with your dad that was exciting to you at the time? Was it just the time that you got to spend together? Did being able to get to the point where he couldn't even keep up with you just sort of like light this competitive spark I'd love to dig into that a little bit more
0: yeah yeah I think it was less about like the bonding time and more like oh look I'm really good at something and I can beat an adult doing this um so it just kind of pushed me to be like how far can I go with this and so I jumped into some road races and we were like hey I'm doing pretty decent I think I I would win a lot of my age group categories. So then I tried out for, oh, well, I don't know if there was really a tryout, but um, I went out for cross country that fall. So I was, what was it? Seventh grade. And I made the varsity
1: team. And so I was like, hey, like I could go places with this. Was that the first time in your life that you'd ever felt that way? Granted, you were very young.
0: Um, I'd say so. Yeah. I did really well just academically in school too, but I think with running, it was more fun and it was exciting and not everyone did running. So it was like my own little thing to be good at.
1: What happened in that first year that led to you developing an eating disorder at the age of 12?
0: Um, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, I think I just had to be in control of a lot of things. And I thought that I didn't really have a lot of resources and no one around me was really into running. I mean, aside from my dad who had just gotten into it, but I didn't really know any better. So I figured that if I ate less and ate really healthy, um, whatever that meant, that meant like not eating fast food, not eating anything with fat grams. I just thought eating less, being skinnier, I would be able to run faster. And it got me into trouble really quickly.
1: Did that all come from you?
0: Yes, it did. Um, I remember I would try to, my parents would tell me that I couldn't run unless I started eating more. And so then I would sneak out late at night or early in the morning and go for runs. And finally they stepped in and were like, you're going to kill yourself, literally. Um, So that's when they were like, I couldn't run at all. They put me into the hospital. I was there probably for, oh, it was a month or two. And, um, that's when I really was like, I need to do something
1: about this. And so were you out of running for any extended period of time or was it, you know, sort of this like touch and go type of relationship? Yeah, it's
0: more of a touch and go thing. I think immediately when I was hospitalized, I didn't run for a few months, obviously. And then, um... My parents let me start running more as long as I was eating well. And then I'd maybe slip into old patterns. And so I'd, they'd say that I couldn't run as much. Um, so it's kind of an off and on thing. But I think once I got to the later years of high school, probably like 10th, 11th, 12th grade, things were much more in control and I wasn't, um, as obsessive with my eating. So everything was more manageable then.
1: What were you able to do during those years to work through those difficult periods when you were struggling?
0: Running was my outlet. So I guess when I wasn't able to run, um, it almost made things worse sometimes. Um, But then I guess I got to some point where I was like, I saw that not eating was bad and that if I fueled less, there was consequences. Um, I ended up having two stress fractures early in my high school career, one in my femur and one in my pelvis. And I think that was really eye opening to be like,
1: if you keep this up, you won't even be able to run. You can't see me on the other side of the mic right now, but I'm, I'm nodding my head because I dealt with similar issues, not in high school but right when I got out of college and Mm -hmm. similar type of situation. I had had a good college career, I wanted to see if I could make it as a professional and it was that feeling of control being like, okay, well if I can just be like a little bit lighter that might help me jump to the next level and quickly spiral downward and was injured. Same thing, like two pelvic stress fractures, one in my pubic symphysis, not things that guys in their early 20s... (laughs) should be dealing with, Um, but much like, you know, much like you just described, it was ironically enough, like it was having, you know, running sort of as an outlet that eventually helped me to sort of like get through it and get to a better place.
0: Yep. Yep. For sure. It's crazy. It's crazy what running can do to your body.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and your mind sometimes too, and I think running. Let me let me rephrase that. Not that, that what, what running can do to your mind, but like what that, you know, feeling of, of control and running happens to be one of those things that you feel like you, you have control over um, can do to your mind and what path that can send you down if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What advice would you give to young athletes or parents of young athletes who might find themselves in a similar situation?
0: Yeah. Um... I think the biggest thing is to rem- for parents to remind the kids to have fun and also to the kids like enjoy it. Enjoy the process. Don't always be like looking at the end result and what you're getting out of it um, because eventually that'll lead you nowhere. Um, there's so much more to life than just running. And so if you're not enjoying the daily training of it, um, yeah, then what are you doing? Um, and I don't know. I think another good thing is to find a good role model probably. I think that's the thing I lacked. I didn't have a role model in running to really look up to and to know what to do and what not to do. And I think that could have helped me.
1: Did that eventually change for you? Were you able to find that role model or people to look up to that helped you stay on a better path?
0: Um, maybe like later in my 20s. but. I think I was so absorbed in my own little world that I was like, I don't need anyone else to tell me what to do or I'm the best. (laughs) I don't need someone else to tell me what I need to do to be great. So that was hard.
1: That sounds really familiar to me. (laughs) I
0: I wish I would have been more accepting of help. Um, Yeah.
1: When did you get to that point where you were able to accept help and to lean on others to help you deal with these struggles
0: um, I think it wasn't really until my late 20s I think it wasn't until um, I left Mammoth I, was, I ran in Mammoth Lakes with under Andrew Castor and Dino was my teammate I was there for four years leading up leading up to and through 2016 um I think it wasn't until I left there that I was able to like really accept help and um, and trust people. I, had, I struggled with trusting that people had my best interest in mind. I think I thought everyone was out to get me, which that's another story <laughs> to go back to. But um, yeah, and I think being at the lowest point, it wasn't until later in my 20s that I was like, I'm not really getting anywhere in my running. I've been plateauing or getting worse. Like something needs to change.
1: Yeah. Did you ever slip back into patterns of disordered eating after high school, in college, or even beyond that? Or by the time you got Mm -hmm. out of high school, were you just in a much better place in general as far as that was concerned?
0: Um, right after high school, I was in a really good place. I think I slipped back into it a little bit in college, um, for like a year or two, just because I thought I had to do every little thing to be better. I mean, everyone's fighting for a spot on the team and especially at Oregon, everyone there is an amazing athlete. So you need to do everything you can. Then in my mind, I think I was like, Oh. I can use this tool that I have in my pocket wasn't a tool but like if I eat less then maybe I'll be able to be able to be a little bit better a little lighter and that didn't help either and I ended up having another injury and I had to have surgery on my hamstring the spring of my sophomore year in college and then after that I think I struggled with getting back into um, the right rhythm and training and it was kind of the end of my college career.
1: You're in your early thirties. Now you dealt with a lot before, you know, you even got to the age of, of 20 and then certainly in the time from 20 to 30, what's allowed you to stay with it all this time?
0: Um, surrounding myself with a good group of people who support me and that I feel that I can trust. Um, and I think finally finding joy again in running has allowed me to stick with it, which I lost for a while because I felt like I just, all throughout my 20s, I I had a fear of failure, which is not a good reason to keep running.
1: <laughs> Where did that fear of failure come from?
0: Um, I think doing well in high school and then not living up to my goals or what I thought I would achieve in college. So I was like, I can't stop running now because I haven't really done anything since high school. And then also um, when I was in, it was my senior year of high school, my dad was sentenced to a few years in prison for embezzling money from his employer. And I think in college, I set, I had this mindset of like, I can't be the girl whose dad is in prison and she was really good in high school and now she's like doing nothing. So that was like my motivator to do well in running.
1: Did you feel like you had nothing else going for you outside of running?
0: Yes, even though if you ask anyone else, they'd say I was super talented, I did well in all my classes. I got a master's in accounting. There was plenty of other things I could do outside of running, but I was just so hyper-focused on running that I saw no other option.
1: And definitely sounds like at the time, a lot of your self-worth was tied up in those results as well.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't let it go. I even was, I went to therapy a little bit in college and, I just thought it was a waste of time because I was like, I'm tough. I don't need this. Like, yeah, you can't tell me that running's not my whole life. It is. Like, that's fine.
1: Talk to me a little bit more about the transition from high school to college. As you mentioned, you were a standout high school runner. You go to the University of Oregon. There's a lot of history there. Um it's one of the top programs in the country, year in and year out. What were your feelings going in? Was it pressure immediately? Was it excitement of stepping up to a new level? Was it some mixture of the two? I'd love to get into that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think it was a mixture. I think it was mostly excitement. I was excited to kind of get out of Minnesota and go somewhere new and do something different. and then once I got there, I think the pressure set in and I was like, whoa, I got to compete against a lot of girls and it's not just me anymore. I feel like I was, I've always been a bit of a perfectionist and I found a way to let that go. But definitely in high school, I had to be the best at everything. I had to get straight A's. I had to be at the top of my class. And so that just carried over into my running. I guess it was just my personality. So I, carried it into everything I did. Um, Yeah, so it was a lot of internal pressure. And I think outward pressure in the sense that um, I thought that everyone was expecting me to fail because when I was so good in high school, everyone was like, oh, it's only a matter of time before she burns out. And I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to prove
1: everybody wrong. So you took the words right out of my mouth. Have you always had this attitude or or mindset of, I'm just going to prove people wrong. I'm just going to show you that I can actually do this, even though you might not think I can.
0: I think it all happened when um, things with my father, when he was sent to prison and I was whenever they wrote about him, it was all the articles were about me as well, because I was a successful runner in the state. And so that kind of like
1: fueled the fire. Were you ever able to separate yourself from that?
0: Um, It took a long time. (laughs) It wasn't until probably the past three or four years that I was able to separate because I carried a lot of anger with me. and sadness and just doubt. And, um, I was in this little hole and it was really hard to get out of.
1: And you've mentioned how in the past you would try and get out of these holes all on your own in the last few years. Has it been mostly you who's been digging out of it or have you been better about Trusting other people and allowing them to help you get out of these tough spots that you've found yourself in
0: It was really I think a group effort of well, it was first me realizing that I Was in this hole and that I was unhappy and depressed and sad and so once I realized that then once I was able to reach out to other people and let people into my life, it was then that I was, I think, able to overcome some of these negative things in my mind and this hole that I was kept putting myself back into.
1: Going back to college, you were struggling with a lot of this self-inflicted pressure. Were there periods of joy in there as well? Definitely.
0: Definitely. I mean, I had fun meeting all these girls from around the country and having this unit, this team, and we were all there for each other and we wanted all to do well um, as a group. And it was fun to experience a new place. I had never really been to Oregon before. And so kind of being on my own um, and having an independent life, that was new and exciting for me.
1: How were you thinking about running by the time that you graduated from Oregon and what place you wanted it to have in your life?
0: Yeah, um, I think I was a little jaded because I hadn't done well and lived up lived up to the goals I had set for myself. Um, so I remember I, I still had a year of eligibility, but I was kind of over it. And so I finished up my master's and started running on the roads and I reached out to my high school coach. So he kind of helped guide me for a couple years after college while I got into like the half marathon and then I did my first marathon. And that was exciting, I think because I was able to kind of focus more on myself and not what everyone else was doing. Um, and it was different. I wasn't on the track where everyone was watching you all the time. Um, so that kind of Reignited some joy in running.
1: Were you still living and training in Oregon at the time?
0: Yeah. I moved up to Portland
1: right after I graduated and was there for two years. And mostly training on your own?
0: Yeah, all on my own. My coach lived there, so I would meet up with him for workouts.
1: Was it helpful at that point of your life not to be in a group environment and surrounded by other people who were working towards similar things?
0: I think it was, but I didn't really realize it. Um, I think if I had been a, been in a better place with the demons in my head, then a group would be great. But I think I lost some confidence in college when I got hurt and hadn't done well. Um, so by being able to train by myself, I was able to get some of that confidence back, and then. Um, I ran my first marathon Twin Cities in 2012 and I think I, I ran 244 which would have qualified me for the Olympic trials that past year so I was like hey maybe I can try to like maybe my goals of being a professional runner are not that far off and so then that's when I decided to move to Mammoth. I quit my job and I was like, I need to pursue running full-time to be better. And that didn't really work out for me
1: either. (laughs) What was that transition like for you? Was it similar to when you matriculated from high school into college and going to a big program like Oregon?
0: Yeah, it was very similar. I thought it was going to be different, but it wasn't. Because it was almost worse because I didn't have school to have something else to distract me by, I was living with, I moved in with um, my teammates in Mammoth. We met every day for practice, often twice a day. Um, So I really didn't have any other outlet. And once I started having problems with my Achilles, um, it was hard for me to really separate things and, that's again when my identity became became so wrapped up in running and I was just like in such a loss and didn't w- know what I was doing with my life.
1: Was it a similar pattern to what you had experienced years prior?
0: Yes, almost worse too because I was getting older
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I had given up working to run. Um, I was in my late 20s and I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Like. I should just go get a job and quit running. But then still in my head, I was like, I can't do that because then I'm a failure. <laughs> so I I just kept trucking
1: along. Where does your stubbornness come from? Hmm.
0: I don't know. I had never really thought about that before. But yes, that's a good word, stubborn. Um... I think it comes from my drive and determination, probably that perfectionist in me to do well.
1: How close did you come during your time in Mammoth or toward the end of your time in Mammoth to hanging up competitive, running for good, and just getting back into your career field, which I know was accounting, and just moving on?
0: Oh, man. Multiple times I was like... I need to stop doing this but i couldn't because like at the end of the day i truly love running and always did love running even when i hated it um but yeah i mean i remember when i left mammoth i wasn't sure if i would keep running i remember i (laughs) sat down with andrew like on a monday and um i left mammoth on friday with no place to call home and no job lined up. But I was like, this isn't working. I need to do something else. And I was out of there. Um, so that was probably the closest to hanging up, hanging up my shoes that I came. Um, I moved out to Boulder with my fiance. He was my boyfriend at the time. And um, I was just kind of running here and there. And my agent, Josh, while in Mammoth, who's also still my agent. I was talking with him a little bit and I was like, uh, oh, like maybe I do wanna try running. Um, so he hooked me up with Lee Troop and I was like, if this works it was it was my last chance. I was like, if things go well, then great. But like if this doesn't work out and I'm not running well, then I'm just gonna call it quits.
1: And this was what, 2017 2000.
0: or so? Summer of 2016.
1: Okay. So right after the LA trials. Yeah. And you were thinking of that as your last hurrah possibly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I got a job. Um, I knew I wanted to get back into accounting. So that's why I left Mammoth. I was like, I need, I can't just be focused on running. Like this is de- detrimental to my mental health. Um, I need something else. So I ended up getting a job within like a week of moving out to Colorado. And so I was working about, and I still do work 30 to 35 hours at an accounting firm. Um, But I was like, at least now I have something else to focus on and, uh, shoot, now I forgot what we were talking about.
1: Sorry. Did you notice a flip <laughs> when, when, so when you took that job, um, uh, working 30, 35 hours a week, once you moved to Boulder, did yeah. you notice a change in your running or at least your attitude towards your running now that you had something else to focus some time and energy on?
0: I did. And I think that's what made me reach out to Josh and be like, Hey, like I might want to talk to like a coach or two and see if this running thing see if I still have a chance. Yeah. Because I was like, this is this is actually still fun.
1: How long did you work with Lee? Um, I'm
0: 16. I think it was a year and a half. Okay. That, I also had my surgery during that time, so I didn't run a lot of it either.
1: <laughs> you had described earlier how... During a lot of your time at Mammoth, you were injured and frustrated. And at the end of 2017, you decided to have surgery to repair both of your Achilles, which yeah. having any kind of procedure on even one of your Achilles is catastrophic enough, never mind both of them. Uh, and then, fast forwarding 13 months from that, you ran your marathon PR 23716 at CIM in late 2018. Take me through that year long period or so. What you did, what was going through your mind, how you were thinking about your relationship with running at the time.
0: Yeah. Um, I wish you could have seen me smile right then when you talked about me running a PR 13 months after my surgery, because I did not think that would happen. Um, So, yeah, so it had gotten to the point where I couldn't even get out of bed without pain. Um, And I was getting. Yeah, before the surgery. And I was going to run Grandma's Marathon uh, summer of 2017. And finally, I got to the point where I was like, this is not going to happen. So I called up Lee, and he basically was like, I was waiting for you to make this call. But in the back of my head, I think I was waiting for someone else to make the call for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized I need to do this for myself. And that was the biggest relief I had when I was like, I just can't keep running with this much pain. And so I had the surgery, um, not knowing it. And the surgeon said that I would be able to run again. But in the back of my head, I was like, I might not be able to run again. Or I might not even be able to run at the same level I ever had been able to before it. And I was, once I had surgery and was coming back, I was preparing myself for, you might not be able to do this competitively anymore. Mm -hmm. And I almost got to the, I did get to the point where I was like, that's fine, which I think helped me um, rehab and get to where I am now with my running because I didn't have all this pressure and it became more of, I was more grateful to be able to run without pain. Um, is is so, that one of
1: the first times in your life that you were able to make peace like that with yes. your relationship with running?
0: Yes. I'd say the first time. <laughs> um so it was very enlightening.
1: Um, it was a huge turning point for you.
0: Yeah. And there was even, there's this one point. <laughs> so rehab went really well. I had to relearn to walk, but it went well. Um, it took three months, I think, before I was able to get back, do some like jogging, like one minute on, one minute off thing. And right away, I had no pain. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then... I didn't really have any goals. I just wanted to be able to run for a period of time without any pain. Like that's all I cared about. And that enough was like, I was happy with that, Um, which was like completely different than any mindset of I I had ever had before, where running was all I have to be super fast, I have to be the best, I have to be winning. Otherwise, why am I why am I running? Um, So It was a few months into my... I was back to running um, just for fun, really. No plans. And my fiance and I went to Iceland and we road tripped around the country for two weeks. And this is when I really credit my mindset for changing in my relationship with running. we went on this run along the cliff, some cliffs to go look for puffins. And the run was only supposed to be like five miles because I still wasn't running that much. And it turned into 10 miles because I was just having so much fun looking for the puffins and running along these cliffs and like the beautiful landscape. And I was like, man, this is what, this is what enjoying running is like. This is what it's supposed to be like. And, um, one part of me was like I could just stay in Iceland forever and never come back and never compete again and I would be totally content um, but then it, towards the end of the run I was having so much fun and I told Aaron I said I'm going to run as hard as I can back to the car It was we were like a mile out at this point and I, had a, I ran like a 520 something mile and I was like shit like I need to I need to go back to running and compete and see what I can do. But I had I had a totally different mindset of how I was going to go about it now. Well,
1: it's almost as if you needed that experience to give you permission to pursue it again with yeah. a different outlook.
0: Yep, I did. And so, now it's been so much more fun running and trying to do well. Every time I line up, I don't get as anxious anymore. I don't feel like I'm gonna barf. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just see what you can do. And you have two healthy legs, you get to do this, like the sky's the limit. And if you don't reach what you think you might be able to do, that's okay too. Cause I'm having fun and I'm more in the moment now, not thinking about the end goal of, oh, I might not do as well or I might suck. That's fine. You're okay with it? Yeah.
1: Fast forward a few weeks to your return from Iceland. You're back in Boulder now. You've had this sort of euphoric moment at the end of that run along the cliffs where you run this 520 mile. And you're like, okay, I think I want to get after it again. What do you think it mm-hmm. like once you return to your day-to-day in Colorado?
0: Yeah. So I was... Talked to my coach and we got workouts on the schedule lined up. And we talked about doing some racing in the summer and that all ended up going well. Um,
1: Were you still working with Lee at the time?
0: Yeah, I was. And I think my first race back was like this little, I think it was a 4K on July 4th. And I won my weight in beer and I just had so much fun. And I ran fast, the fastest I had ever run a 4K since, like, I don't know when. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just kept with it and jumping in little local races here and there. And I was finally like, hey, maybe we can run a full marathon. And so it was, we put it on the calendar, but Lee was like, you can't like, put all your stock in it. Like, if something goes wrong in the buildup, then you have to be okay with saying, oh, it's not going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, but everything went really well. I had one little hiccup with... I had some problems with scar tissue from the surgery that was causing me some pain once I had gotten into more intense workouts and longer runs. Um, so I think... What was it? Okay, so the race was beginning of December um what was it I think it was all of October really that I didn't do like any workouts because I was just trying to calm my calm my heels down and I got some shockwave therapy to help break up the scar tissue but I was able still able to do some easy runs um and we didn't pull the trigger yet either I was like hey I'm still I'm excited about this like I can still do it. Um, I remember I raced a 10-miler about a month out from CIM. And it was just supposed to be at, like, marathon pace. And I was a little nervous about it because I was like, I don't know if I can keep this up (laughs) for a whole marathon. But I was like, what the heck? Like, let's go for it. Um, So yeah, it wasn't the smoothest buildup and I wasn't running a lot of miles at all. I think, man, maybe I averaged 60 miles. And my biggest goal running CIM was just to enjoy it, which I did. I smiled like from ear to ear the whole time. And there were so many people along the course, just like fist pumps and giving people thumbs up um, that allowed me to really appreciate it and be in the moment. And I ended up running a PR, (laughs) five-minute PR. And I was like, that also made me realize I don't have to grind myself into the ground day in and day out. Like, it really made me realize that running is very mental. And if you're not enjoying it in in the right headspace, you're not going to do well.
1: Had you been thinking about an OTQ for CIM in addition to just enjoying the experience?
0: Yes, it was definitely in the back of my head. Um, And I'm sure it was my first goal to get that time. But I also just, I honestly didn't think about it at all until probably the last six miles.
1: And at that point you're clicking off six minute miles and rolling yourself to a pretty significant PR.
0: Yeah, and I had a a negative split. I I think I was running like 540s by the end. And, yeah, it was a blast. I had never had that much fun running. I mean, maybe sometime way back when, but I couldn't remember it. So, yeah, it was awesome.
1: Did you ever have a feeling after that race that, crap, I've been doing it wrong for a long time, and this is... Yeah! (laughs) This is how it, yes. this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. I was like, oh, I was so going back to being stubborn. I was like, man, why did I have to be so stubborn for all these years? Like, this could have been way more pleasant.
1: <laughs> Were you able to keep that momentum going after CIM in 2018 from an enjoyment standpoint?
0: Yeah, Once you got the I
1: think OTQ out of the way, big PR and all of that, or did the pressure, self-induced pressure, return in any way?
0: Um, no, I think it. I think it stayed, and I still think I have it. And Aaron, my fiance, always refers to it as my Iceland mentality. And if he ever catches me slipping into being a little too rigid with things, he's like, "Hey, remember Iceland?"
1: Okay, so let's fast forward from. CIM 2018 to Mm -hmm. the Olympic trials just a little over a month ago. I'll spoil it for everyone listening. You finished 27th. You ran 237.58. You're less than a minute off of the personal best that you set on a much, much faster course um, at CIM versus what you ran in Atlanta. Were you surprised to run that fast on that course and place as high as you did? I'd love for you to take me through it.
0: Yeah. um, No, I was not surprised. I didn't know what place I would end up getting, um, I didn't even really have a goal going into it aside from just compete to the best of my ability. Um, because with that type of course, you don't know what anyone's going to run. You don't know, and in a, a championship style race like that, you don't know who's going to have bring their A game, let alone it's a marathon, anything can happen. So, But I knew I was fit, and I knew on a good day on a flat course in good weather, I could run low two thirties. My coach Matt and I just, we knew that. And I was confident in that, which was something new too. I think at CAM I wasn't confident. Um, I was having fun, but I didn't, it had been so long that I had run healthy that I really didn't know what I could do. And now going into the trials, I was like, I can do this. So that gave me a lot of momentum. Yeah, Uh, and I was excited to almost PR because I don't think a lot of people almost PR'd.
1: No, a lot of people almost (laughs) did not PR in Atlanta. Take me through the last loop of the race. You had good momentum. You're moving up through the field. What was going through your mind during that last 10-mile loop?
0: Man, it was hard. It was a very hard race. The hills got to me, and it was windy, and I felt like I was... Leading The little packs that I had Mm -hmm. been in, I felt like I had been leading up the hills straight into the wind. But it was also fun. I enjoyed being out there. Um, Man, the crowds were deafening. I needed earplugs. Um, But yeah, I think when it started to get really hard and I felt the hills in my legs, um, what really helped me was having friends and family along the course cheering my name because it reminded me to not be too serious and get worked up about feeling bad because everyone was probably not feeling great at that point point. Um, and Aaron had re- wrote little notes on all my water bottles so if at any at any points when I started getting um, tired or things were hard I would remember what my last bottle was or I'd look forward to what my next bottle was going to say because it kind of brought me back to the moment and to remind me to be present and you know enjoy this um but yeah I think the last lap I was just really focused on trying to pick off as many girls as I could and afterwards I found out that I had moved up quite a bit like throughout the whole race which I was really proud of and um yeah it was great and I remember at the end, well, it was kind of cool. Um, there was three girls from or- who had gone to Oregon that finished all right in a row. It was Molly Grabble, Jordan Hesse, and then me, for 25, 26, and 27. So we all kind of... I had to run a lot of the race back and forth with Molly, and then I ended up catching Jordan around mile maybe 21 or 22, and I kind of was like... I could tell she wasn't having her best day. And I remember being like, hey, come on, Jordan, like you got this, stick with me. And I think by me focusing on her or giving her like a little bit of encouragement, it also helped me and distracted me from how I was feeling. Sure. And so we were able to kind of, not so much work together, but kind of like being, we were mentally out, we were out there together and yeah, it was fun.
1: How were the days for you after the race? Did that feeling of joy stay with you for a while afterward, you allow yourself to ride it for a bit?
0: Um, there There was a point where I think like right after the race, like twenty four hours after the race, it was kind of a bit of a letdown. Not let down I knew I had done well, but um
1: It's over. I
0: had Yeah, yeah, this huge thing and it was like, oh okay then That's anticlimactic. Not like now what? (laughs) Um, But then I had to remind myself like it's not over. I still had. I was always planning to do track as long as I came off the marathon. Well, um, there's gonna. Well, obviously now we know that there's no races. But I was like, there's gonna be more races, and I knew that that was not my best race. That I still have so much more to get out of my training, that I'm looking forward to do. So. Took me a couple days to get out of that little funk, but then I was like, okay, like, let's go.
1: There is a lot of uncertainty right now in terms of Mm. when people are going to be able to race again and what events are going to be on the calendar. But, I mean, all that aside, at some point we are going to get back to having, you know, a racing season and track and championships and, and other marathons. I'd love to get your thoughts on... How you're thinking about the next few years for yourself?
0: So I definitely am shooting for another four years. I think I, my best marathon is ahead of me, and even shorter distances. And I'm actually excited now that track has been pushed out a year because now I have a whole year instead of a couple weeks or months to you know get some track fitness. Um, so I'm excited and. I've also talked to my coach about maybe dabbling in some trail stuff, which I would have never said that before, so that's exciting.
1: <laughs> what about the trail stuff excites you?
0: Um, It's something new, and being out in nature, in the wild, and I don't know. My fiance did a 50-miler this past summer, last summer, and I helped crew him, and it just seemed like a lot of fun and people were, there's a lot of camaraderie in it and seemed like it'd be exciting and interesting. So yeah, I'm up for a new challenge, but I don't want to focus on trail. Not, not yet. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> just dabble. If, dabble.
1: if I can give you some unsolicited advice as someone yeah, who comes do. from a similar background to you and in 2014 to basically 2017, for me, I dabbled in trails and ultra. And for the same reasons that you just described, it was new, it was different, it was exciting, intriguing on, mm-hmm. on a number of levels. Uh, and for me personally, it was re energizing. And I was actually able yeah. to come out of those years having learned a lot and challenged myself in different ways, but ran faster than I ever had in a marathon in 2000. 18 after 11 years between PR. So, I mean, I think I wish I should say uh, more folks experimented with that sort of stuff. I mean, marathoners tend to go back to the track and uh, bounce back and forth between the roads, but not a lot of them go and try something completely different like trails. And obviously there's, you know, some risk involved, but I think it can be energizing and invigorating in a different way, but it can also help you to become better at these other disciplines that you've been doing for a long time.
0: I think so too. And if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if I would ever run a trail race, let alone run an easy run in the mountains on a trail, I would have <laughs> said hell no, because it's too slow or I can't run fast enough on rocky trails. Um, but I think that's the point to, be able to soak in nature and slow down. And I can still run fast on the trails. Like I might not be able to run as fast as I could on a flat road. But yeah, I think it brings new challenges and it'll just make me a better runner overall.
1: Last bit before we wrap up here. A few days after the Olympic trials, you wrote in an Instagram post that you found a way to get back up. And I've only become stronger and more in love with running than ever. You've taken us through that journey of the different times that you've been knocked down and how you've gotten back up and become stronger. I would love to get your thoughts on resilience and joy and how you're going to be able to carry that forward with you from here on out.
0: Yeah. I think at the end of the end of the day, my biggest goal needs to be that I'm still enjoying everything and, and to remind myself where I've come from. Um, I think there's been so many points in my life in the past 10 years or whatever that I could have said, Hey, like, I'm going to stop running. This isn't for me. I'm done. But when things are tough, I kept pressing along, maybe <laughs> Maybe some points I should have. Maybe I should have backed off earlier. But, I mean, I wouldn't have changed anything because I won't be where I am today. And I'm super grateful for the journey that I've been on because um, it hasn't only made me a better runner, but better person, I think, just going through all those hardships. And it's taught me a lot about myself and the strength that I have.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I think those are big takeaways for anyone who is listening to this I also appreciate your honesty and vulnerability in this conversation we touched on some difficult things but thank you for coming on the morning shakeout podcast
0: yes been fun thank you
1: All right, that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. Also, a big thank you to both Tracksmith and Precision Fuel and Hydration for making it possible. The turnover tights from Tracksmith are the perfect option for chilly morning runs this time of year. They feature a soft brushed back for a comfortable feel on the skin and a spacious rear pocket for storing cards, keys, nutrition, your phone, or whatever else you want to stuff in there. You should also know that they come with or without a liner. During the month of December, visit tracksmith.com Mario and use the code Mario22 at checkout for free shipping on your order. Also, 5% of your purchase will go to support the Friendly House in Worcester, Massachusetts, an organization that is near and dear to me. Precision Fuel & Hydration makes the best fueling and hydration products for training and racing, and they also provide invaluable education for endurance athletes at all levels. Check out their Fuel & Hydration Planner, which is a great tool that you can use to dial in your fueling and hydration needs for training and racing with incredible precision. You can find that on their website at precisionfuelandhydration.com or in the show notes to this episode. Also, if you want to pick up some product for yourself, Use the code TMS22 when you check out at precisionfuelandhydration.com and save 15% off your first order. Before we wrap up, I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He has produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. Also, thank you to Chris Douglas for being my right-hand man and handling sponsorship sales, and Jeffrey Stern for managing the AM ShakeOut social media accounts. I don't have a big team here at the Morning ShakeOut, but these three guys have been crucial in helping keep things running smoothly here. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, also called The Morning Shakeout, at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and in it, you'll get a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to lately that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got for this one. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.